Villas Grace Church. Building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know him, to grow in him, to go with him. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful for the fellowship that you provide, the encouragement that we can receive from our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray that our remaining time here worshiping you is centrally focused on Christ. That what we are about ready to hear from your word in the book of James directly impacts our walk with you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, a responsible gun owner understands and practices safety. Therefore, the gun itself is not dangerous. Contrary to what you're going to be told, the gun itself is not dangerous. It is the gun owner who is either practicing safety or not practicing safety can either become dangerous or not. But it's not the gun. Guns don't pick themselves up. Guns don't load themselves. See, really when it comes down to it, a gun can either prevent harm or a gun can produce harm. It's, it's really e either or. You're going to use a gun to defend yourself or someone else or the gun will be used to be on the offensive and not the defensive and produce a bunch of unnecessary harm. But if you are a gun owner, you make that decision. You are the one that gets to make the decision of whether or not you're going to allow the firearm itself to be dangerous or not. Brothers and sisters, money yeah, yeah, what used to be in your pocket, you know, pieces of paper with a watermark on it, maybe a strip, which is now just, you know, digitally created in your bank account money, that, that you know, form of payment that we use is the exact same. See, money is like a loaded gun. It can either prevent or produce unnecessary harm. After all, money is really just this. It just relieves the stress of survival because let's face it, there is a certain amount of stress related to our survival and that's precisely what money does. It just kind of takes the sting off of that survival. If there are a few things in the USA, in this country, that we are not in short supply of, it is very easily guns, ammo, and Money. Congratulations, because being a, an American citizen is really the equivalency of winning the lottery. You live in this country, you pretty much won the lottery. And this brings us to the title of our sermon this morning. And that title is this, Warning About Wealth. Warning About Wealth. Wealth. We're going to be in the book of James, chapter 5, this morning, covering verses 1 through 6. And we are going to be warned about being wealthy. 
Now, we must remember two Sundays ago, Pastor Jared took us through the very end of chapter 4. When we looked at verses 13 through 17, we were encouraged in the notion that how we speak about our future reveals who sits on the throne of our heart. See, when we make plans without factoring in a dependence upon God, our arrogance and pride will be exposed each and every time, which is why we are encouraged by James to say, Lord willing. And that's something that we should always have in our vocabulary. When we're talking about things off into the future, we shouldn't just say, well, I'm going to go here and do this or that, like James said, like Pastor Jared walked us through. We should always preface any future plan with the phrase, Lord willing. If the Lord will, we will go here or there and do this or that. Today we're going to be encouraged in the advantages and the disadvantages of wealth. Because after all, there are both advantages and disadvantages to being wealthy. We're going to observe the temporal advantages as well as the eternal disadvantages as well as the temporal disadvantages and the eternal advantages of wealth. But before we do any of that, let's just go ahead and get into our text this morning. We're looking at James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidenced against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up, in tr- up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Amen. So as we look at these six verses, we want to put them into this sentence to kind of encapsulate everything into this one idea. And that idea is this, and this is our main idea for this morning. You're filling the blank in your bulletin. Eternal investing produces everlasting yields. Eternal investing produces everlasting yields. Now, I think what we need to do before we start off this morning is define wealth. Because if we don't have a definition of what wealth is, then we're really not going to do ourselves any favor with this text this morning. See, wealth is any amount of money, any amount that exceeds basic needs, any amount that is actually left over after your needs have been met. So after your basic needs in life have been met, wealth is anything left over. So I think it's safe for all of us to say it's not actually sinful to have wealth, is it? However, it's what you do with your wealth that actually could lead to a sinful behavior or decision or any type of action. See, it's earthly wealth that we're actually focusing on here this morning. See, you can still have wealth on earth. You can still have more after your basic needs have been met, but still be in spiritual poverty. You can actually have all the wealth of the world, but then still be living in spiritual poverty. And what does it say here in our first verse? 
What is the very first thing that we see? Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. This is earthly wealth in spiritual poverty. See, the miseries are reserved for those who will suffer at God's final judgment. And that could really come at any time. It could be upon your death, or it could be upon the day of judgment that the world will see, or it could just be when Christ returns. It is more general in nature. But the bottom line is this, when your time is up here on this earth, that's what's being driven home right here. You should weep and howl because the miseries are coming upon you, those who are wealthy on earth but still experience spiritual poverty. Now, with that being said, you can experience both earthly wealth and non-spiritual poverty at the same time. Because just because you're wealthy doesn't mean you're going to have a problem with your spirituality. But we're going to get to that in a moment because really it is a lot more difficult to handle wealth, especially once you have it from what we consider to be wealthy here on earth. But here's the thing, before we continue, who will suffer at God's final judgment? Who? And we can't forget this as we continue this morning. Brothers and sisters, it's those who have earthly wealth. They cannot buy themselves out of this judgment. That's the reason why they're being told to weep and howl. Those with earthly wealth cannot purchase salvation. Because when it comes down to it, that's really what happens with the wealthy. Those who have you know, exceedingly more than the you know, most normal person, the most everyday average Joe, that individual, the type of individual who has the option of changing their environment on a whim whenever they so choose. They're used to using their wealth to get exactly what they want. They're used to purchasing what it is that they think that they actually need, but really that becomes a want. But what happens? They approach the gospel with the same mentality. They believe that they can purchase their own salvation. And that's why Jesus says this in Luke 18.25. We've all heard this verse. Allow me to read it for you. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. What Jesus is saying is the rich are used to buying their way. But hold on a second. Hold on. You've been to Disney, haven't you? Maybe you've been to Six Flags. You want to get the Fast Pass. You went to Universal Studios. You don't want to wait in line either, right? So really, this is talking about all of us. We kind of have set ourselves up to think that we can kind of buy our way in and out of things. We don't just have to be the ultra-wealthy. Now, wealth can buy you the finest things in life. But even the finest things in life, no matter how fine they are, they all have a shelf life. Now, in the ancient world here, when this was written in James, there were really three primary forms of wealth. Ways in which people could show off that they were doing, you know, above the standard of survival. That would be in the form of food, clothing, and precious metals. And that's why we see this here. It says, your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are, have corroded. See, the reason why this is being said is because back 
When this was written, gold and silver coins weren't necessarily 100% gold and silver. They maybe had some other metals mixed in so they could be stored away, but then really just corrode away as they were actually being stored. This actually reminds me of something that just happened this week. I was outside in our neighborhood with Reese. She wanted to practice her pitching, so I was sitting on a bucket catching for her. And two of our neighbors were walking by, older couple, not, not too old, maybe in their 70s, young, right? Hand in hand, I see them all the time. Great couple, husband's name is Fernando. I said, hey, Fernando, what's up, man? How you doing? He, he said, hi, back. And then I said to Fernando, I said, Fernando, are you still working, volunteering your time down there at Revs? Because, yep. Now, Revs, for those of you that do not know, I've been there one time. I didn't go as a guest of Fernando, but I went and got to witness Fernando. Revs is down in Naples, just south of here, and it has a bunch of awesome old cars, some old race cars. You can go in and tour. They have tour guides. They walk you through everything. Everything's authentic. It is a really cool place. It's a place where you can go see a, a car that raced in the Indy 500 maybe 20, 30, 40 years ago, and then you might see like a 1930s Rolls Royce. It's a really cool place. Fernando walks around this place. He knows every single car. When we went and did our tour, I, I kind of eavesdropped on his tour group because I was his neighbor, and this is years ago, and I remember just listening to Fernando. He was fantastic. The way in which he handled his tour group, the way in which he walked him through everything and just explained everything. I mean, he was passionate, he was knowledgeable, and he was really good with people. So we chatted a little bit, and I know Fernando usually has two old MG cars in his garage that he likes to work on. So I asked him about those cars. He said, oh, they're gone. I go, they're gone. I go, Fernando, you love cars. Why don't you have a car in your garage to work on? He's like, no, I got an Alfa Romeo. It's, it's my final car. And I kind of said, you know, a little joke back to him. And he stopped and said, listen, they all turn to rust anyway. And I thought, man, I don't even know if he's a believer or not, but that is profound. So that sparked me and that encouraged me to say back to him, Fernando, what you're doing right now, right there with the bride of your youth, walking hand in hand through the neighborhood after I'd asked him how many years they'd been married and it was like 48 or 49 years, some, some long you know, amount of time that, that makes me want to aspire to be able to say the same thing one day. I was able to say back to him, that's what matters. See, it doesn't matter what we buy with our wealth. It doesn't matter how nice, how expensive it is. It's, it's all going to rust and decay. Even the money here being talked about is, is corroded. Even the money that we think that we have right now is just, you know, somebody on a computer typing in numbers. Either that or it's an algorithm that does it for us. They're just digits that get put in on a computer, on a system that's going to go away anyway one day. So we can't allow this to define us. Again, wealth, any amount that exceeds basic needs, any amount left over after your needs have been met. So I don't care if you have X number past that basic need level, anything, one cent all the way up to a gazillion dollars, that's wealth. So if stored up wealth causes gold and silver to be corroded, then we better rest assured that greed causes the soul to be corroded as well. Brothers and sisters, final judgment is coming. 
Whether we like it or not, when our time is up here on this earth, final judgment will come. And there's nothing that we can do to avoid it. So the question that we need to be asking ourselves, are you, are we, am I, are you, practicing proper gun safety with the loaded gun in your hand? See, corroded wealth will testify against you. Corroded wealth will be the evidence against you that will eat, as, you, as it says right here, your flesh like what? Like fire. So not only is money like a loaded gun, money is also like fire from the text here. And if it's used properly, fire that is, it can be amazing. If it's under control, it can do some useful things. It could be a useful tool for us. But if fire is used and it's not under control, it can be destructive to property and life alike. See, the same is true for wealth because an improper use of wealth is the same as you have laid up treasure in the last days. Jesus talks about that in Matthew 6. I'm going to read 19, 20, and 21 for you. Jesus himself said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break and in steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys where thieves do not break in and steal. For wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Hmm. Okay, we've established the fact that either the amount left over after your basic needs are met can either be done for good or for bad. Then we need to ask that question, now that we're to this point, how do I invest my wealth? If my wealth is going to be evidence against me on that day of judgment, the question should be, how is it that I should be investing my wealth? Well, it's a simple answer. Invest in the advancement of the kingdom. We give so the message of Jesus can be shared. Want to invest your wealth? Is that something that you want to do? Then invest in the lost so the lost can now be found. Sure, you can invest in financial markets. You can invest in stocks and bonds and cryptocurrencies. You can purchase whatever it is that you want to invest and grow your money. But then again, this is really no different than laying up treasure on earth if it's not done for the right reasons, especially when none of the proceeds from the yields that we gain from these investments go towards the kingdom. See, we're not saying that it's wrong to invest in some of the avenues and ways in which we can invest today with our money. You can do so. And you can do so in a way that actually advances God's kingdom, but it's what you do with what you have been given back from what you've invested in. Because after all, there's more than one way to make money. And we need to remember something, okay? And I think this is very important for us to really understand. God gives to those who know how to give. So 
Just because you have wealth doesn't mean it's sinful. Maybe the Lord has provided you to have extra after your basic needs have been met so you can reinvest back into the kingdom. Do you see what we're getting here? We're not talking about investing so the church can build a new building or investing so you can go out and serve the community. I really don't think serving the community has any benefit whatsoever if the gospel's not shared in some way, somehow, some form because we serve in order to share the good news. So the bottom line is this, and it's really just this simple. We invest in things that put us in positions or other people to be put into a similar position so they can share Jesus with others. That's how we invest. So no matter how you collect your yield off your investments, invest your wealth in what cannot be corroded. Invest in someone's eternal life. Proverbs 19.17 says this, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and He will repay him for his deed. Don't think monetary poverty only. Don't think like, okay, I just heard this sermon on how to invest my wealth, so I'm going to stop at the stoplight out here after church, and the first person that's holding a cardboard sign, I need to give them money. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about giving responsibly, practicing proper safety, right? Just like we would with a firearm. Because you may give to that person holding that cardboard sign, and what did you really give towards? Maybe their last drink that they're ever going to have because that's going to be the one that's going to put them out of commission forever. That's how you can be destructive. Remember, God gives to those who know how to give. If you're responsible with what God has given you, maybe what you have left over after your basic needs are there in the account that you have set up because you've been responsible enough to have that much. And then maybe you can look at it like this. Maybe you don't have as much left over as the next person because you're not as responsible as that person is. But that's okay. It doesn't matter. Again, if it's one cent or a gazillion dollars, anything left over should be used to invest in the kingdom. So we should be thinking spiritual poverty, not just monetary. We should be thinking about investing in those who are spiritually poor, those who do not know the Lord. Brothers and sisters, money talks. We know that, right? How many times have you seen situations in life where the money did the, all the talking? It didn't matter if the situation was wrong, right, or indifferent. It was the money that made the final decision. So if money does talk, what will money say about you when you stand before the Lord in final judgment? Again, let's remind everyone here of our main idea, which actually stated this, eternal investing produces everlasting yields. We invest in vehicles that carry the gospel message forward. There are any number of different ways to invest in those types of things. The Lord's going to bring opportunities your way. 
if you have the wealth, if you have that amount left over to invest in, then you need to be discerning and pick and choose which ministries you invest in so the gospel can carry on. Now, as we look at 4, 5, and 6, we continue to observe how much money can actually be just like a loaded gun. So as we go through these verses, think about that loaded gun. At the time of this writing, the wealthy were actually the landowners, and that's who James was addressing specifically. See, they made their money by defrauding others. What does it say? The wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud. We see much of the same today. This isn't new. These aren't new tactics. The elites of the world today, and when I say elites, we're talking, let's just, you know, keep it simple, lower class, middle class, upper class, and then the elites, the status above the upper class. Now, we all know that the middle class is being stripped away, but we see much of this today. The elites today have defrauded the middle class. And one simple question actually gives us our evidence to us knowing that this is true, because the question I would ask, where's the manufacturing? Where? Where is it? If you look at any chart that's going to show you where manufacturing is going, it's going away. And there's a reason for all of these types of things. There's no more manufacturing jobs like there used to be. I mean, they're still there, but they're slowly being taken away. It's much cheaper to get things done other, in other places, isn't it? Why would there be manufacturing in a country like this when you've got to pay a worker what you've got to pay them to live in a country like this? It's easier to defraud the people of China. It's easier to defraud the people of Mexico or whatever country things are being manufactured in and then sent back over here for us to buy. This isn't new stuff. There's nothing in this, nothing in this book, nothing within the 66 books that comprise the one book that's new and different going on today. This book at the time of its writing up until today is still relevant Where's the manufacturing jobs? We know that it's going away, especially for those of you that have lived here for any number of years. Go look at Page Field. How many number of private jets do you see? How many? My neighbor, another neighbor, not Fernando that I mentioned earlier, just took a simple video of his bike ride this week at Page Field. It was like, look at my ride, and he was showing a jet taking off. And then I saw on the tarmac another private jet coming behind. Just go drive by Page Field. You can see the private jets. Just go about, you know, what, 10 minutes? Well, maybe 10 miles with traffic more than 10 minutes. 10-mile 10 drive down to the beach. How many private yachts do you see? Culturally, we're obsessed we are obsessed culturally, too, with this stuff. We Google search other people's net worth. I, I have a little news flash for you on that one. A Google search of somebody's net worth is not going to tell you how much somebody's worth. It is impossible for you to figure that out by searching somebody on the Internet. So don't even, don't even waste your time. Because anybody with any significant amount of money 
If you went up and asked them what your net worth is, they probably shouldn't be able to answer that question. In fact, I would say, no, they can't answer that question. And if they could, they don't really have that much. But even think about yourself right now. How much is in your checking account without looking? But we're obsessed with this stuff. We talk about this stuff. We talk about so-and-so. Oh, they're worth this. They do this. They do that. I don't care. Why would we care about that? They could be worth whatever they're worth. I don't care what it is. And yet, what are they doing with their wealth? Are they back into the kingdom? Are we going to brag about them when they went their whole life and never did that and then they stand there in final judgment? Oh, but we'll brag about their net worth. We'll look them up, won't we? But we don't care about what really matters. What does it say? The laborers. What's happening with the laborers? Are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. God hears their cries. Ironside, he's a great commentator. He said this. I just want to read exactly what he wrote. God is not an uninterested spectator. As of old, he heard the cries of the slaves in Egypt when they sighed and groaned because of their unfair and wicked treatment by the taskmasters of Pharaoh. So he will still take notes of every wrong that the privileged and powerful inflict upon the poor and the downtrodden. Brothers and sisters, how are you investing your wealth? Do you get what we're driving home? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's the private jet and the yacht that you have or far less. It's any amount beyond your basic needs. What are you doing with that wealth? So as Joe comes up and joins me, I want to look at, at this where it says luxury and self-indulgence. See, when I think of luxury and self-indulgence, I, I think for a limited time only. You can have the private jet. You can have a yacht. You can have a fleet of cars. You can have an extensive, an expensive shoe collection but yet be traveling absolutely nowhere. And it's all because you've invested in the temporal instead of the eternal. It's been said, it's been said by somebody way wiser than myself, a short life should be spent well. So if money talks, what will money say about you in final judgment? One final thought. Verse 6, what does it say? You have condemned and murdered the, per, or the righteous person. He does not resist you. Do you really want to invest your wealth like the elites? the ones who take advantage of the legal system, those who can be technically correct in the court of law but morally bankrupt, the ones who can afford silver-tongued lawyers and have judges in their back pockets 
See, if your answer to that is no, then what I would encourage you to do as well as myself, remind yourself of our main idea every single day. And that states this, eternal investing produces everlasting yields. Let's pray. Lord, I just pray that we can be a church that is serious about spreading your gospel, your good news about salvation to others. Use us, Lord, to share your truth so we can see others come to a saving faith in you. Especially since we know that once we're saved, it is for all of eternity. We pray this in the name who has made it all possible, the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.